The other reason why businesses are not sellable is because business owners wake up one day after being in business for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years and say, oh my gosh, I hate my employees or I'm going through a divorce or uh, this pandemic that we've been living in for the last two years. And then they decide, hey, I want to sell my business. Well, they never built a business that's sellable. And so there's always a pricing gap because they'll call me, business owners call me every day and say, oh, I want to sell my business for $10 million. They're worth a million dollars. So business owners really have no idea what their business is worth. So that's why we always say, like Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. You're listening to The Rich State of Mind Show, the podcast made to make you the total package in the entrepreneurial world and give you what we call a rich state of mind. If you are here looking to learn about real estate investing, marketing, elevating your business, and developing your mindset to get to the next level, then you are at the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join our community on richstateofmind.com. Now, here's your host, Anthony Ritchie. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rich Day Mind, where I'm talking to Michelle Seiler Tucker. She's the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. Uh, Michelle owns many other businesses, by the way, in several different industries. But as a 20-year veteran in the merger and acquisition industry, she's regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing and growing businesses. Her and her firm has sold over a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and has a remarkable track record of success. And uh, so I really want y'all to enjoy this episode because I've talked about starting businesses, talked about scaling them and maintaining them, but never talked about actually selling them and packaging them up properly and selling them. Michelle does a great job of breaking that down. Also, we'll be promoting her book in the episode as well that I bought myself personally, uh, because the idea is to have an exit plan uh, eventually, right? You don't want to create yourself a job, eventually a business, and then maybe sell uh, so you can move on in life. So check this episode out. Things will be great. Thank you for listening. Hey, Michelle, thank you so much for taking your time uh, this afternoon. Really appreciate you being on the show, because like I was talking to you before we started recording, we get to talk about how to uh, build a business up to the selling point. And so if you could please just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I'm Michelle Seller Tucker, Mergers and Acquisitions, Master and Intermediary, Senior Business Analyst, Certified Business Professional, and a bunch of other acronyms behind my name. Yeah. I've been in this industry a little over 20 years, specializing in buying, selling, fixing, and growing companies. I've personally sold over 500 businesses. My firm has sold even more than that. And we really specialize in not just selling businesses, but I partner with business owners, investing my money, my time, energy, core competencies. I also put business owners on a road to sell program where we help them get their business ready to sell. We buy businesses and flip them, sell businesses and merge them. So kind of, you know, everything in, in between. Was three, I've written three books on the subject. Exit Rich is my latest book that came out in June of 2021, endorsed by Steve Forbes. And I'm an international speaker as well, pretty much all over the U.S. and Canada, speaking about business exit, business strategies, and business growth. So, <laughs> thank you so much. You kind of put that uh, really quick as far as what you do. 
so first of all, you mentioned three books. So is it like chronological order? Should I buy a certain book first before I buy this Exit Rich book? No, no. I think you should buy. I think everybody should buy Exit Rich. I mean, the first book was written in 2013. It's a little, it's not antiquated because things don't really change too much in this industry. But Exit Rich is sell your business for more than it's worth all about selling your company. Exit Rich is more about building a sustainable, scalable, scalable sellable asset. Because like Steve Forbes says, 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. 80%. That's a pretty startling statistic. So most business owners really haven't built a business that someone wants to buy. That's why they have less than a 20% chance of success. And so my idea is that when I, I build a business, and this is me personally, and then you know whoever can relate, is the idea to never have to run it entirely for the rest of my life. And so, you know, one of your talking topics is, you know, planning the exit strategy from day one. So, so uh -huh. kind of break that down. What's the day one? Hey, it's just me. I'm the solopreneur. What are some groundwork bricks I should be laying down? Well, if you're a solopreneur, you don't have a business, you have a job. Okay. Okay. That's number one. Um, and that's the number one reason that businesses are not sellable is because business owners have created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. So the, the other reason why businesses are not sellable is because business owners wake up one day after being in business for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years and say, oh my gosh, I hate my employees or I'm going through a divorce or, you know, partner disputes, death, health issues, uh, this pandemic that we've been living in for the last two years. And then they decide, hey, I want to sell my business. Well, they never built a business that's sellable. And so there's always a pricing gap because they'll call me, business owners call me every day and say, oh, I want to sell my business for $10 million and maybe they're worth a million dollars. So business owners really have no idea what their business is worth. So that's why we always say, like Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. And when I say start with the end in mind, I really mean start with the end in mind. You know, it's called the GPS exit model. When you have to drive somewhere, the first thing we all do is we go to Google Maps, we plug in our, what do you plug in when you want to drive somewhere? Address. Your destination, right? Mm. If you don't plug in a destination, you're not going anywhere. Gotcha. And so we got to plug in our destination. And I always tell my business owners, even from the beginning, you know, pick a number. Even when you're building, when you're starting a business, say, look, I want to exit this business for $10 million. Pick a number. You can always adjust the number down or upwards. And then the second thing that the GPS exit model needs to know is where are you starting from? What is your current location? What is your business worth today? What is your current evaluation? And most business owners never get their business evaluated ever. They don't get their business evaluated until they think, hey, I want to sell my business. What's my business worth? And then that's when they're always shocked and devastated that their business is not worth anything close to the, to the number that they need to sell for, for the number that they need to retire or start a business or do something different. So number one is know your destination. Let's say you want to sell for $10 million. Number two, know what your business is worth today. And don't go, go to a CPA to get a business evaluation. CPAs are not expert at evaluating businesses. You need to go to an M&A expert that knows how to evaluate synergies like contracts and databases, technology. So you want to sell for $10 million. That's your destination. Your current valuation, let's say you're worth a million. Then you need to know time frame. Let's say you want to do this in five years. $10 million, you're worth a million. You want to do this in five years. Now, the next thing is who are your buyers going to be? Buyers, not buyers. See, that's another problem. 
I just had a, a company come to me the other day and we did their evaluation. So look, you can sell probably around seven million, seven to to eight million dollars. And like, well, we want 10. And I said, Well, it's not worth 10. So you need to do this and this and this to get 10. And I said, Well, we have a buyer, we'll just sell it to a buyer. I said, okay. They just came back to me a week ago and said, Hey, that buyer fell apart. We want to come back and work with you. And I said, Okay. They said, We want 10. I said, Send me your numbers. You weren't worth 10 last time I did the yeah. evaluation. So you got to know who your buyer is going to be. And so many so many sellers make the mistake of saying, I have a buyer. You don't have anything. Until the money's in the bank, you got nothing. <laughs> so there are five types of buyers. 98% of buyers are startups, are first-time buyers. I'm sorry, first-time buyers. First-time buyers, they buy small businesses. They don't buy $10 million companies. Turnaround specialist is number two. They buy distressed assets. They're not buying $10 million companies. Then you have private equity groups who will buy $10 million companies, but they won't even look at your business unless you have at least $3 million in EBITDA as they're buying a platform. If they're buying an add-on, then they'll look at your business under a million in EBITDA. And then you have strategics and competitors who typically will pay the highest multiple because they're paying for synergies. The fifth buyer is a sophisticated entrepreneur and a sophisticated entrepreneur, they are chasing cash flow. I call them storm chasers because they're chasing EBITDA. They're chasing cash or industry agnostic. They don't care about the industry. So once you've got your plan and you know, I want to sell for 10 million, I'm worth 5 million. I want to do this in five years. My buyer's either going to be a private equity group, a strategic competitor, or they're going to be a sophisticated entrepreneur. Boom. Now, what do you need to do? You need to reverse engineer numbers, and no, if I want to sell for 10 million, where does my gross have to be? My COGS, my operating expenses, most importantly, my EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. And then if you want to sell for 10 million, you have to have an EBITDA of around 2 million. And then you need to build that business. You need to ask yourself, what are the characteristics? What are the synergies that these buyers are looking for? What will inspire them to pay top dollar? And then that's when you build your business on what we call the six P's, which is the infrastructure to grow a sustainable, scalable, and sellable asset. And so uh, actually, you you articulate yourself very well on this topic to where it's very digestible, by the way. And thank you for explaining what EBITDA was. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the first question that I, that I have, and I'm pretty sure people would, would want to know is, the first thing we think about as far as what a business is worth is how much does it, what's its revenue, right? But you talk about, you talk about technology. Right? That's where, that's where business owners look. The reason I've written books and the reason I wrote Exit Rich is because most business owners are not experienced in this industry. They're not experienced on business evaluations and what buyers look at. And you're right. So many business owners think, think it's about revenue. I have so many business owners that have come to me over the last 20 years. I said, well, my CPA said that I could get five times revenue. And I'm like, well, fine. Call your CPA. Tell them to buy your business because nobody else is. <laughs> I know, right? It's not based upon revenue. The only industry that is based upon revenue is a technology industry because they get paid a multiple of revenue. Every other industry gets paid a multiple of EBITDA. Good, good to know. So, because look, you can be making a hundred million dollars, Anthony, and losing a million every year. Just because you make a hundred million dollars doesn't mean you're making any profit. Yeah, this is true. You got me thinking about when I used to look at balance sheets. Part of my degree is a business analysis. And I used to look at balance sheets for certain companies. 
is a determination on whether I would invest in them or not. In this case, would I buy from them? Right. You said about finding the right buyer. And so I have, let's just say it is a, no, we won't say real estate investing. We'll say it's a, I sell, let's just say I sell hair products and I want to sell my business. Would I be naive to think that I should be looking for L'Oreal or uh, some other type of big name uh, hair product brand to want to buy from me? Or is it somebody that doesn't have to be associated with that period? Would you be naive and going after a big time company like L'Oreal? Um, if you have an EBITDA of a hundred thousand, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> you know, if you have something like really, really, really unique and a good following, a good brand, like maybe, um, um, oh my God, what's the name of that brand? Paul, is it Paul Mitchell? Yeah. Paul Mitchell. You've heard of Paul Mitchell, right? It's a no. Brand. Is Paul it hair Mitchell? brand? Yeah. Paul Mitchell. Um, I met John Paul. If you, you know, if you have a big brand like that, that's really well branded, that's got a tremendous amount of revenue and EBITDA, it's got a lot of clients, great brand recognition, then a company like that could go to a bigger company to be acquired. But if it's a small little hair company that's selling in, you know, a small store online or Amazon or something like that, no, it's not going to be attracted to the big buyers. If you want to build a company that's going to be attracted to the big boys, to the big girls, to the big companies, then number one, you have to be very well branded. You have to build your company on the six Bs. You have to be very well branded. You have to have something unique. You got to have a tremendous client base. You got to have something that they're willing to pay for. Uh, it's got me thinking because especially now that social media is has become some of, for some companies, their biggest you know, audience their biggest right. way of, of branding and marketing. I think Kylie Jenner, absolutely. Yes, right. I think she makes like a million, a million a post, a million uh-huh. dollars. So it's got me thinking about building that relationship when you talked about the branding and marketing, uh, that unique relationship with people so that when you sell, is that part of your concern that, hey, I want that unique relationship to maintain uh, so that when I do sell, I'm thinking that when these people sell, they sell all the way out, they're getting royalties afterwards. Can that be incorporated in? Most companies don't get royalties. Most business owners don't get royalties. Why would you get royalties? Tell me a reason you would get royalties. So I'm thinking that if if I own the company and there's still products, let's say it's, it's my name. Let's say it's Anthony Ritchie Hair Products. It's still my name, but you're buying it. I want royalties because you're using my likeness. That's what you're getting. That's what that's what they're paying for. That's what they're buying the company for. If they offer you $10 million for your hair product company for Anthony Ritchie, that doesn't mean they're going to pay you royalties on top of that. They already paid you once. They're not going to pay you twice. You follow me? Okay. They're not going to pay twice. Plus, they might not want to buy a business that has Anthony Ritchie on it. Depends on what the industry is. If it's hair products, maybe, because especially if it's big like Paul Mitchell, you know, Paul Mitchell is big, right? And so that's okay because that's that's a very well-branded name. But business owners get in trouble sometimes when they wrap the brand around their own personal name and they never really brand the company. Um, and it's because right now you're just talking products, but there's you know services, there's all kinds of different industries mm-hmm. out there. I mean, look at Tony Robbins. Is he sellable? He like him as an individual, but I don't think he would be people, somebody would buy his business. 
because what he doesn't have a business to sell because he is the business. Yeah. Tony Robbins out of that business, there is no business to sell. Tony Robbins is smart. He's no dummy. He did an ESOP years ago and he's selling to his employees, but it's kind of like T. Harv Eckert who wrote the millionaire mindset. You know, somebody got a hold of him one day and said, you can't keep branding everything under T. Harv Eckert. You got to start branding something else because you'll never be able to sell it. So then that's when he backed up and started peak potentials and he ended up selling peak potentials. So you got to be very careful if you're trying to build a brand around your name, like Salar Tucker Incorporated is my company. It's also my name. Mm-hmm. But Salar Tucker Incorporated also has employees. You know, we operate on the six P's and Salar Tucker can almost be anything. It could be a law firm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could, yeah it could, I actually have a gentleman that works for me and his last name is Tucker and he's not related. So I told him if I sell, I'll sell to him. <laughs> You're right about that. It does actually sound very professional. <laughs> and so we, we've covered those two topics uh, so far. Uh, 10 biggest profit mistakes, because we talked about revenue and how people evaluate their companies. What are some of the biggest profit mistakes that you've noticed? Um, there's so many. I, I think that's going to be my next book, the, the <laughs> biggest mistakes that business owners make. Um, and they all are, are around profit. So I'm going to go through the six P's because I think it's going to be valuable information for your listeners to go over awesome. the infrastructure because a lot of business owners focus on, you know, they're, they're like, okay, here's my products. Here's my clients. I want to build everything to meet their target needs. They're focused on the money, getting the money in the door, but they're not focused on building the infrastructure. It's kind of like when you build a house, if you don't get the right contractor in there, and they, you know, drill deep into the, to the land and put the piping in, put the ACM, put all these different things in and build a solid foundation. The first time a little wind comes by, your house is going to fold. It's going to blow over, right? Same thing with your business. You know, I've seen business owners get a huge client. They couldn't handle it. And they ended up going out of business because they don't have the proper infrastructure. Okay. So the first P is P, people. You don't build a business. You build people. People build the business. The biggest mistake that the business owners make around this first P people is that business owners are working in the business with their hand in every in every pie instead of working on the business. And business owners are not focusing on their strengths. They're trying to be everything to everybody. And they're also working on their weakness. They're also, you know, doing their strengths and their weaknesses. They should hire their weaknesses and focus on their strengths. Business owners also have to let go of the control in order to grow. That's a big mistake with business owners because entrepreneurs are control freaks. So you have to have the right people in the right seat. You have to ask, ask the who question. Who handles customer service, phone calls, you know, greeting clients, who handles quality control, manufacturing, distribution, logistics. The list goes on and on. The clue is Anthony's name should never, never be next to the who. Otherwise, you don't have a business that can run without you. Product is the second P. People make a lot of mistakes. Business owners make a lot of mistakes with product because they stop innovating. They stop marketing. It used to be that startups were at great risk, that 98% of all startups will go out of business within the first one to five years. Now it's startups are not at great risk. Only 30% of startups are going out of business. But out of 27.6 million companies that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% are going out. Seven, zero. And the reason for that. It's because of lack of aim. This is another profit mistake, lack of aim. 
always innovate and market, always innovate and market. Business owners stop innovating. They stop marketing. They want to do things the way they've always done. If you look at, at things in the news, the media always tells us about the big public companies that are going out of business. Toys R Us, the business 75 years goes out of business. Toys R Us didn't innovate. They really did nothing new. Yeah. <laughs> Blockbuster. And you got Godiva chocolates going out of business. Blockbuster. Blockbuster could have bought Netflix. They have plenty of opportunity to innovate market and even acquire Netflix. And they sat back and did nothing. So product is your product, your service, your industry. You have to ask yourself, is your product, your service, your industry on the way up? And you have an Amazon and you're in your prime. You sell when you're in your prime. Or do you have a Blockbuster and you're about to go out of business? Number three is processes. Most companies are not profitable because they lack processes. They can't, it's not sustainable, it's not scalable, and they have a hard time being profitable because their processes are not buttoned up. You really have to, and I will tell you, this is every company. This is not just small businesses. We're selling a $55 million company with 350 employees and they're lacking in processes. Wow. You need to have policy procedures, process manuals, employee handbooks, non-competes, for every department and SOP checklist. And you need to ask yourself three, you need to ask your clients three questions. What do I want my clients to experience? McDonald's did this. If you've never watched the movie, The Founder, you should go watch that movie. It's the oh, best yeah. movie ever. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, yep. So Michael Keaton played Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc did not start McDonald's. McDonald Brothers started McDonald's. Back in 1940s, uh, McDonald Brothers said, look, we want to build a fast food restaurant because there wasn't one. We want to really um, create a fast food process around our customers' experience. And they asked themselves, what are the three things we want our customers to experience? And McDonald Brothers said, we want them to experience great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. And even though they designed those processes in the 40s and took them along the way, it is the reason you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world. Yeah, the system. Yeah. Well, I call it processes. You call it system. But, and you need, the problem is, Anthony, is that most business owners design the processes around their own agenda. Doctor's offices, when are their hours? <laughs> when they want to work. When they want to work. <laughs> <laughs> like I had an employee have to take off today to go to the doctor's office at 10 and, and then one yesterday at, at two, because that's the only time they'll take her. That's the only time she could get in, you know? And my husband and I own medical clinics. We're open evening hours and we're open on Saturday. Because we ask, what do we want our clients to experience? Most business owners never do this. It's always about their own agenda. Gotcha. That's good to know. The number four is proprietary. So let me give you a crash course on evaluations. So first and foremost, if a business is, has a, under a million dollars in EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, their business is probably going to trade for anywhere from one to three, three and a half times EBITDA, unless it's a tech company. If your EBITDA is over a million, you're going to trade for a, a higher multiple. And we'll be able to create a bidding war because that's where all the buyers are. There are more buyers for great businesses with a high EBITDA than there are great businesses to buy. So if your EBITDA is over a million, you can expect to start with a multiple of five, five and a half, six, and go up. The fourth P is proprietary, proprietary assets. The more proprietary assets, the more synergies you have, the more we can sell your business for. This is why you don't go to a CPA to appraise your business, because CPAs don't know how to evaluate the synergies. Number one, there's six pillars to, brand, to, to proprietary. Number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more we can sell your business for. Like 
Whose company is branded more? Anthony, Richie's hair products or L'Oreal? L'Oreal all day. Who's going to get more money? L'Oreal. L'Oreal. And if you look at Blockbuster's brand, is anybody going to pay for Blockbuster? That's since 2014. Because they went bust. What's the biggest, most valuable brand in the world right now? Apple. Apple, by far. Most people get that wrong. You got it right. Probably because you have like 10 of them. (laughs) So Apple is worth $389 billion. That's just for the brand. That's nothing else. $389 billion. So build your brand. Trademarks are important, especially federal trademarks. The biggest profit mistake that I see business owners make is they come up with a name and then they go to GoDaddy and they're like, yes, I got the .com. And they think that they're going to you know, just do great and blow it out of the park. Mm-hmm. So then they go to their state and they get a trademark, but they get a state trademark. They never check the federal database to make sure that company name is available. Well, guess what? Within, I've seen businesses five years, 10 years operate and receive a, a knock on the door and get a letter that says you have to stop using that company name, cease and assist letter. And they'll hire an attorney. They'll throw a lot of money at it, but they'll lose. I was on the phone with a client yesterday that has a pretty good business, you know, millions in EBITDA. And I asked him, I said, is your name, I love your name and your logo. Is it trademarked? And he started laughing. He goes, yes and no. I go, what do you mean about yes and no? And he goes, well, yeah, I got a trademark, state trademark. I said, listen, this is a great name. You got to go to the federal database and you got to get an FTC on this. And he said, yeah, I said, you're going to receive a letter. He goes, yeah, that's funny because that happened to me with the last name. <laughs> so he received an assistant assist letter and he had to stop using his last company name. He rebranded all over again and still doesn't have a federal trademark in this company name. And he brought it up to that's the millions. That's not smart. So you really a thousand percent have to protect your IP. Get a federal trademark on your company name, your products, your slogan, your logo. Why do I say products? Let's say Anthony Ritchie has all of these hair products and he's got some unique ones. And let's say one sells at, um, you know, a high end at this high end spa. Another one sells at this high end spa. You need a federal trademark for each one of these products. We have a client that sells products that has six different products exclusive. One is in Target, one is in Walmart, one is in TJ Maxx, and they have a federal trademark on each one of those products. Then patents are huge. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, every shark sounds like a broken record. Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? So patents are huge. We sold a company for $18 million that had 18 patents, but was they weren't making that much money. That's what we're talking about, our synergies. You can be losing money and still have some proprietary assets and still be able to sell it. So... Really important. And here's another big mistake, big profit mistake that business owners make. They put all their intellectual property in their corporation name. So what let's do you, say- What do you mean by that? Like a book? Well, let's say Anthony Ritchie is Anthony Ritchie LLC. Mm-hmm. And he's got pads, he's got this, and he's got that. He, you put it all in your corporation. If you get sued, those patents, that IP is in jeopardy of being lost because it's now part of the lawsuit. So how do you protect it? You put it in a separate corporation. That's separate from your business. So, okay. So my intellectual. Pro- so you would or- have Anthony Ritchie products or Anthony Ritchie yeah. IP and an Anthony Ritchie corporation. Gotcha. Otherwise you can keep it all in your corporation. And when you get sued, don't come back and yell at me. 
<laughs> yell at your attorney because <laughs> most attorneys don't tell don't say that they don't mention that contracts are another big 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 value driver vendor contracts manufacturing contracts client contracts um, but here's the big mistake the business owners make with contracts 98 percent of all sales are asset sales two percent are maybe stock sales the larger companies tend to be more stock related than the smaller companies. But if you have contracts and you don't have the transferability clause and your buyer won't agree to a stock sale, you're going to have to go to your clients and ask them to sign a consent to transfer. Yeah. I've been in this industry for 20 years. I've never seen a business owner actually have the transferability clause in their contracts. Huge mistake. You got a template in your book? <laughs> I don't have a template in my book. That's probably the one thing I don't have in the book. I might have it in the book. I might. I mean, it's 325 pages. I wrote it two years ago. Um, the other thing is databases, you know, and not just a database where you're collecting names and numbers and email addresses, but let's say you have a database like, like WhatsApp did and WhatsApp had all the history. You know, we're working with an app company right now. And I told the owner the other day, I said, gosh, if you had all that buying history, we could sell this database for a lot of money. And so Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. They were hemorrhaging money, but they had a billion users. Yeah. Celebrity endorsements. We have a client that works with Oprah. A competitor would pay a lot of money for that because everybody wants their product in front of the queen of everything. Yes, it's Oprah true. is the queen of everything. Whatever she touches turns to gold. And so if you got Oprah as you're you know, endorsing your product, that's, that's gold. Same thing with radio personalities. Okay. So these are all proprietary assets. And then we have patrons is the fifth P patrons is your customer base, your client base. We'll always say 80% of your revenue usually comes from 20% of your clients. The biggest mistake the business owners make is customer concentration. We have a client that we're selling for 55 million. They have 70% of the revenue tied up in one customer. Oh, wow. If they leave that, cus leave that customer, they, leave, they lose 70% of their business. And then the last P is profits. And the reason I put profits last is because I know everybody wants profit. Everybody wants to put profit first, but lack of profits is never the problem. It's your symptom of not operating on the other five P's. So if you, you know, my clients come to me and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a process issue. No, you have a people issue. I wanted to ask, because we talked about trademarking and the proprietary portion of the, um, the pillars copywriting let's say i have a book in my intellectual uh company does mm -hmm. copywriting add value to my uh company trying to sell i mean it? it does but it depends because well it depends on a lot of things number one who's the publisher and uh, okay. if you have the publisher does the publisher own the content or do you i uh, let's say i own the company i mean i own the content well let me just say this so it's crystal clear for your listeners if you're going to write a book and you're going to get a publisher, a traditional publisher, you're not going to own the content. So you have to read the contract very closely and you got to make sure that if you want to own the content, that you actually own the content. Mm -hmm. Now, right. if you have a book, like I have books, you know, I'm not going to say that necessarily, well, it does drive value. And here's why it would drive value. If it's well-branded, if your book is well-branded. I mean, if your book is just sells on Amazon and nobody's really heard of it, 
Like Exit Rich is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It's a USA Today bestseller. It's Amazon in several different categories. It's about to be in Hudson bookstores around um, the world and all the all of the airports. That's where brand is, so that could add value to my company because what does Exit Rich do? It builds my brand, yeah. right? But if your book, if you did self-publishing and you just give it away, you know, it's, it's a lead generation magnet for you yeah. or, you know, it's sitting there collecting dust and it's not going to build value for you. Okay. The other thing that, to know about content is you got to be very careful because a lot of business owners will hire independent contractors, 1099s, 1099s, interns, uh, they'll go to Elance, Fiverr, stuff like that. And they'll get videos created, content, blogs, and they think they own the content. Well, they don't. The person who actually wrote the content owns the content unless you have a contract in place that that independent contractor, that intern signed that says the company owns the content. There have been many upon many lawsuits about the provider suing the owner because they said, look, you got famous off this content. That's my content. Thank you so much for bringing that up because I was just talking to one of my friends about that, where let's say I have you, I have you on my podcast. And so I have, I've had to have people kind of, when they fill out the form, there's pretty much a verb telling them, Hey, this is mine. And, you know, please don't sue me type stuff. But there are people that have ran across those issues. Let's say we have a falling out and now you're like, Hey, you're using my likeness. You've probably made about 5 million off of these video, these YouTube clicks, you know, I want my portion. And so, yeah, the understanding of who owns what or what the content is going to be used for does have to be solidified uh, in the beginning stages or you will run into those issues. Thank you for bringing And things get money now, right? Because the content right now is at the tip of everybody's fingers. It's not so much, hey, I saw your exit rich sign at the bus stop. Um, I'm seeing it on so everywhere. I can see it everywhere now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's thank you so much for bringing it up. That is very important to a lot of people with that have good intentions with the, with the content that they're coming out with and not thinking that this could happen to them down the road. Yeah. Well, like I always say, it's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you don't know. Yeah, I have heard that before. And so uh, we have sheesh. That, that was actually really good. I actually took notes about that myself because I want to make sure on the show notes that I, I actually put, pin that down for the people, six, the six pillars. Uh, so we have seller sanity checks and buyer sanity checks. We've talked a lot about the person that's selling the business. What would be a buyer sanity check? So that me as a seller, I know what they're checking on me. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you two things. So the buyer sanity check is this, and it's the same for five types of buyers. Buyers ask themselves five basic questions. Number one, how much do they have to put down? Because everybody wants to leverage other people's money. Of course. Nobody wants to use their own money. So number one, how much money do they have to put down? Number two, will the cash flow of the business support the debt service? Because they're going to use the cash flow of the business to, to, to pay the bank or to pay the loan, to pay the note, whether it's a seller's note or a bank note. Number three, how much cash is left over after the debt service is paid? Is it enough for me to live on? Number four, how soon can I get a return on my initial investment? If I put a million dollars down, how soon can I get that million dollars back out of the gotcha. business? Most, most business owners want to return on investment. On small companies, one to two years. On larger companies, two to four years. And then number five, does the potential have does the business have potential to grow? Now, we're, here's where sellers always get it wrong. <laughs> sellers are like, "Well, Michelle, I have all this potential. They need to pay me for this and this and this and this." I'm like, "No, 
They're not going to buy your business if you don't have potential, but they're not going to pay twice. They're not going to pay you for that potential and then have to pay again to get to, to obtain, to earn that potential because it takes money to make money. So if their potential is there to, to quadruple the business, you're not going to do that without spending any money. You're going to have to hire people. You have to do more marketing. You're probably going to have to get more equipment. So those are the five basic questions of sanity check. Now, the things that buyers should do to protect themselves in buying a business is number one, never buy directly from an owner. Always make sure you have an advisor to do an evaluation to make sure you're not overpaying. Make sure that you don't go to a notary and just get things signed. You're not buying a car. Yeah. <laughs> you need an actual closing attorney. You want to make sure that all the IP and intellectual property is included. I've seen a lot of, a lot of business owners a lot of buyers buy businesses where they didn't include the name. They didn't include the phone number. There's all kinds of different things that they included. And they went right down the street and competed with the buyer. So you want to make sure there's a non-compete sign at least two years. You want to make sure there's training in place. And you want to make sure, most importantly, the website, the domains, the phone numbers, the facts. Well, nobody uses facts anymore. But you want to make sure that all of that stuff is included. All the IP, if they have a federal trademark, that's included. If they have a patent, that needs to be included. Now, you asked a question earlier about royalties. Let me tell you how you get paid on royalties. So you're not going to get paid on royalties just because somebody buys your business and you want them to pay you for your name. <laughs> but let's say that you developed a really great software system um, that also is a CRM. And it can be, it's pretty much industry agnostic. And you own it in a separate corporation. Now, you can license that to them. And they pay your license fee or royalty on that. Okay. That makes sense? It does. It, it makes sense. And because yeah. also, I was also thinking about, let's say I don't want to sell my entire company. Let's say I only want to sell 60% of it because I don't want to run it physically. I don't want to run it anymore. But I still want to have, let's say, a say in the business and still make money income off of it. Yep. You won't be managing member because there's no way somebody's going to come by 60% and let you make the decisions and, make, and, and call the shots. So that's going to go away. So if you have a problem with somebody else making decisions, you probably shouldn't sell a percentage <laughs> of your company. Uh, you can sell a percentage of your company. And a lot of buyers are doing that these days, but they're not typically buying 60%. They're usually buying like 70, 80, 90. But, you know, you could you can sell 60. Uh, you won't be in control. You will not. Understandable. Be yeah. And then you got to make sure you have a really good attorney to negotiate. What does that operating agreement look like? What does a breakup agreement look like? How do you get your um, how do you get your money back if you're going to sell sixty percent and you own forty percent of the company or you own sixty percent of the company you own forty percent of the company how are mm -hmm. you going to get that money back you know and what evaluation method are they going to use when you're ready to cash out so there's a lot of, of moving parts and a lot of things that have to be figured out and you always want to create the divorce before you get married because <laughs> <laughs> you want to make sure you protect yourself. Does that make sense? Yes. No, I completely understand that because I, I know some people, they're like, hey, this is my baby and I don't want to completely give it up, but I, I don't want to work until I'm dead. So at least not that hard in this business in particular. I want to go on to something else. Uh, so I was wondering about that being an option for some people uh, as well. And so I was thinking also too, you, you've been doing this for 20 years. And so uh, give us a... I would say, what was your most difficult uh, client and wh why? What stuck in your head about why? 
Yeah. So my most difficult client is really fresh in my mind because it still, <laughs> it still burns. <laughs> um, it's a, it was a, it was a staffing company, an industrial staffing company, and uh, they have 30 locations. We could have probably sold it for 30 to $40 million because their EBITDA was high. They had 30 locations. They were growing. Uh, they had a lot of synergies, a lot of intellectual property. Uh, but what happened was the owner decided that he's going to leave his wife for his high school sweetheart and then decides he's going to marry her while he's still married to his wife, which, by the way, is illegal. Not sure in Utah. And then they have a catastrophic event occur with one of their employees at one of their clients' plants, and that employee loses an arm. So then they lose, they start losing, you know, they start having workers' comp issues, lawsuits, et cetera. Then he falsifies information on workers' comp papers. Wow. Falsifies information on workers' comp. Well, they caught it. Then they said, well, so then they stopped covering him. He operated for three months without workers' comp in industrial staffing. And his business started going down very quickly. Locations started closing. That $30 million buyer ended up buying the business out of bankruptcy court. He ended up in bankruptcy really quickly. I got approved as a stocking horse and was able to sell it to the buyer for $1.2 million. Wow. For a company that we could have sold for 30 to 40. I, I hope it was worth it with the, uh, the high school sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Somebody's like, gosh, did you see a picture of it? Was it worth it? And I go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my most difficult. So like I asked, I asked everybody this question and I want to ask you, we usually ended off with uh, what is your rich state of mind? What is your big why as to, are you the type of person you like to find things, fix them and make them better? Is, is that what gets you up in the morning? What's your big why? I think, um, yeah, you know, what gets me up in the morning is I just, I live, breathe. I live, breathe, eat entrepreneurship. I'm all about entrepreneurship. You know, I have to be careful because I can be like other entrepreneurs and go squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. You know? This is true. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just love entrepreneurship. I love business owners. I love everything that that entails. I love, you know, meeting with business owners that started a multi-billion dollar company out of the garage or my $55 million company. You know, the owner has a third grade education started a business out of his pickup truck, does about $20 million in EBITDA now. So I love those stories. It also breaks my heart when I hear about the business owners, baby boomers that have been in business for decades and have made huge sacrifices along the way, including you know missing their kids' events, not taking vacations, et cetera. These business owners, many of them are, are selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. That breaks my heart. So that's why I fix businesses. I partner with business owners, you know, investing in my capital. So it's really my goal. It's my passion to save one business at a time in America from going out of business and really help business owners exit rich. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up exit rich again, because I really want people to check your book out. I will be buying your book, actually. Thank you. I was just talking to my wife about that. Um, because as I'm asking these questions for the audience, I actually you're actually helping me personally. Uh, we just trade uh, trademarked our business. I should be getting that back in a couple of months, actually. Not just because it takes like a year to get it back, but <laughs> but it's it's been an interesting process. And I really appreciate you uh, breaking everything down and being a realist as well. I think everybody, a lot of people, when they get into business, like you said, they have the mindset: Hey, as long as we make a lot of money, that's all we need. You know, the mom and pops. And then years go down and we kind of get faced with reality, what we were actually supposed to do. 
So thank you for that. You're welcome. So Exit Rich, everyone can go get Exit Rich. Um, if you're out of, if you live outside the United States, go to Amazon <laughs> because the shipping cost is just insane to other countries. Um, if you're in the United States, you can go to Amazon. You can go to your favorite bookstore. You can go to ExitRichBook.com and buy directly from me, Michelle Seller Tucker. Uh, when you go to exitrichbook.com, the, the book is $24.79 plus shipping cost. And we will email you the digital download. We'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep. Then we'll give you a lifetime membership in the Exit Rich Book Club where we have video training of me doing deep dives and some of these techniques and strategies that I've been working on for the last 20 years plus documents. So we have documents to operate your business and documents to sell your business. So we have like sample org charts, sample employee handbooks to sell your business, sample letter of intent, purchase agreements, due diligence checklists, closing docs. These documents are over $50,000. I know because I paid an attorney to, to craft them and they're there for your review. They're there for your download. And um, that's at exitrichbook.com. Also, we have a podcast called Exit Rich. You can go listen to our podcast. It's, you know, some really dynamic founders of companies are there, like Jeff Hoffman, who founded Priceline and founded the airport kiosk. Um, Alan, who, Alec, Alec, who founded Constant Contact. We have Les Brown, my favorite speaker uh, in the world. You like Les Brown? Mm-hmm. He, he also gave me a glowing testimony on my book. And um, so we have some great, great, great um, people on, on my show, Exit Rich, um, and great people coming. And then you can connect with me at SolarTucker.com. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciated you on this episode. Uh, like I said, when, when this one posts, definitely want to make sure everybody gets a chance to listen to it. I want as many people to buy your book and that content that you talked about, you provide all those forms. Beautiful, beautiful that you provide all that stuff. And I knew when you were saying all that stuff, I'm like, that sounds expensive. So thank you, <laughs> <It was> expensive. <laughs> so, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Thank you for sticking with us from the start of the episode. Please share our show with friends and family, visit our YouTube channel, and view more of our content on richstateofmind.com. See you next week on the Rich State of Mind show.